Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from Metsmerize. With me today is a very special guest, uh, senior writer at Fangraphs, creator of the uh, Jaws system, and the author of the Cooperstown Casebook from Thomas Dunn Publishing, um, Mr. Jay Jaffe. How are we doing today, Jay? Hey, I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Doing excellent. Uh, I got to read your uh, parallels between the science-stealing scandal and the steroid era uh, today at my lunch break. Fantastic work. <laughs> hey, thanks. Appreciate that. Oh, not a problem. So it's a busy time of year for you. Uh, you are, uh, at least personally, my go-to in, uh, in all things Hall of Fame, and uh, we are in full swing right now. Uh, you seem to be a busy bee. If you haven't checked it out, everybody, um, Jay's doing a terrific series on fan graphs, as he does every year. Uh, it's pretty much his take on every everyone eligible for uh, enshrinement this year, and uh, if you haven't checked it out, please do. But uh, Jay, lots of action. Um, if, if everyone's following Ryan Thibodeau on Twitter, uh, he has put together, as he does again every year, uh, he's tallying everyone's votes. Um, there's been a lot of movement. What are you making of all the, uh, I guess, the net gains that we're seeing? Yeah, well, I mean, we're, you know, I think we're, we're about 30 ballots behind where we were last year at this time in terms of people revealing them. I don't know whether that portends a much smaller electorate because people have, have gotten, uh, 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 sunsetted or, or, or otherwise pushed out of the industry, uh, or what, but, you know, because there are, there are, there's, a, there's a dearth of slam dunk candidates, really Derek Jeter is the only first ballot guy, uh, first timer who's, who's, uh, uh, likely to even, uh, likely to ever gain election and like, and, and possibly the only one who even survives, uh, you know, to, uh, gets above 5%. Um, people have a lot more room on their ballots. Uh, and instead of having to, uh, worry about how they want to, how they're going to fit, uh, 12 guys that they'd like to vote for or considering voting for, uh, onto a 10 slot ballot. It's more like they've got, uh, you know, seven or eight, maybe throwing, throwing a bone towards somebody that they've always, you know, considered, but maybe, uh, uh, haven't been able to justify a vote for instead, you know, because, because there was somebody more deserving. And, uh, so we're seeing a lot of guys, um, uh, whether it's uh, long-time holdovers uh, like uh, uh, Jeff Kent or more recent additions like uh, uh, Todd Helton, Scott Rowland, uh, Gary Sheffield, <coughs> um, they're gaining ground. Um, looking at the tracker right now, Scott Rowland is polling at fifty point three percent. And then, you know these 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 rates are going to come down uh, as you know as as more ballots come in. But um, you know for guys who were getting below twenty percent last year, uh, this is promising, and it's it, it suggests that their candidacies are going to be taken more seriously uh, now that there's more room. Um, you know, and, and uh, uh, I, I'm certainly as as a proponent of, of a lot of those guys I just named. Uh, you know, I'd like to see that. Oh, for sure. And I think it's definitely nice to see Larry Walker um, garnering this well-deserved uh, overdue respect from the voters. I know you've been a big proponent of his candidacy in the past. Uh, do you think this is going to be his year? I know he's around 85 percent now. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be tight. I mean, 85% right now, 84.6% right now is certainly, uh, obviously that, that's where you want to be. But, uh, in the past, he has, he's 
had a considerable lag the last two years, a uh, considerable drop uh, from the, the published ballots to the unpublished ones. Uh, and that, that, that's not atypical, uh, both for candidates who, you know, who see their, their, uh, uh, their vote shares uh, surge. Um, the, uh, uh, the public ballot shares uh, tend to be kind of a leading indicator of, of future support. Um, uh, and also, I think uh, uh, candidates whose, whose candidacies are more supported by the advanced stats than, say, the traditional stats, um, you know, he doesn't have major milestones to point to. Uh, his career requires some interpretation. You know, you need to adjust for Coors Field. Uh, he's got a lot of value tied up in base running and defensive metrics, things like that. Um, so it's 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 not atypical to see a drop off uh, for guys like that. We saw it with Tim Raines. We saw it with Edgar Martinez. Uh, he, of course, is trying to replicate the path that they had uh, going from what looked at one point like a lost cause, particularly uh, when he had the five years of eligibility taken away from him uh, with that rule change uh, uh, in 2015, I think it was, um, uh, to being somebody who has a chance to be elected in, in his 10th and final year. Oh, sure. And I think, um, I know just personally watching him, um, seeing him a lot with Montreal and then with Colorado, uh yeah, I felt like personally I was watching the Hall of Famer. Um, he was just such a. Uh, a I know you you pointed it out very well in your in your take on him for Fangraphs. Uh, he was a quintessential five tool player, and um, he was uh, you know in Montreal a fan favorite. Uh, went to Colorado and kept on doing it. And I want to also talk about Todd Helton, who you know he he's still a ways off. He's only tracking at a, just a shade under thirty five percent now. But you know here's a guy who was. Um, the cream of his crop as far as hitting uh, at the time. And of course, aided by Coors Field, but um, his, his numbers away from Coors, you know, they stand up as well. Do you think that he'll eventually garner enough support to to take that leap? Or is he just kind of going to be stuck around 50% and, uh, if he gets there? You know, I, I mean, it's I think it's too early to say. I mean, I think if he comes in, you know, at, at he's at thirty five point seven percent now. If he comes in with that, that's a pretty respectable second year share, um, especially given you know what we've seen over the last uh, five five or so years. Um, you know, there's a lot of malleability to this, and and there's a lot of open space on ballots uh, going forward. I think you know if Larry Walker gets in, that's going to validate the uh, um, you know the fact that the the, the you know, you can be a Hall of Famer coming from Coors Field. Uh, people are giving his his uh, case uh, more scrutiny, and when you see that, you know that that, that Helton's uh, numbers do stand up to uh, uh, to adjustment, and that he had you know a really uh, considerable value in the field, uh, as well as what he did uh, uh, with the bat in his hands. Um, you know, I think that, that opens up people to, to giving him greater consideration. Yes, uh, you know, the, the the back third of his career was not the most productive. He had maybe two good years out of his last five, and that's uh, you know that's that's kind of a problem. But um, you know, trending in the right direction. I mean, I think there's a lot uh, you know that's yet that's yet to be discovered about, you know, how, where, where these guys go. I mean, whether it's Helton, uh, you know, who's, who's doing this in his second year on the ballot or Gary Sheffield, who I think is in his sixth, um, and who's, uh, right at about 40%. Um, you know, I think people just, people have more room to play in the margins on the ballot and, and are, are throwing support in the way of guys that, uh, uh, you know, that, that they've finally got room to, to look at. I guess Sheffield was the next guy I was going to bring up. Um, he, he's, Picked up thirty four. 
yeah, his net gain is 34 votes this year. So um, he, he's definitely coming into um, his own and with a little bit more room on the ballot. It seems that uh, he was one of those fringe guys who might get a little more uh, better look, I should say. Um, 500 homers. Sure, he was tied into the Balco thing. Do you think he he makes any headway over the next few years? I mean, his stats are there, and if if Bonds, who's who's seen Bonds and Clemens actually, they um they're trending a little higher than they have been in recent years. Um, Sheffield's not in their class by any means, but do you feel like he's uh, he's worthy down the line? Yeah, I, you know, I think that I think that people there people there's a very visceral appreciation for Gary Sheffield. I mean, that guy was just a you know, a, a legitimately feared hitter. I mean, you watch Larry Boa dance uh, in the third base box trying to avoid the foul balls when when he, when he was uh, the Yankees' third base coach and Sheffield was there. I mean, there's there's just something about Sheffield that I think you know separates him from you know from from some of the other great hitters on the ballot. You know, with the exception maybe of Bonds, uh, in that just just what a what a force he was. He wasn't quite as good as Manny Ramirez, but there was there there was this this visceral sense and the defensive metrics really knocked Sheffield down. But I think. I think you know a lot of people are saying, "Hey, these defensive metrics are so so bad that uh, you know they're kind of outliers here." And maybe it's, uh, um, you know, maybe maybe we're giving them too much credit. Maybe uh, there's more room to uh, you know to to vote for him than than we thought. So um, I, you know, I think we look. We've seen such fluidity in recent years. Um, and you know, for the the, the examples that I gave, uh, Reigns and and Martinez and and Walker, that almost anything seems possible right now uh, in terms of these guys digging themselves out of these early holes. Uh, you know, as, as as far as minimal support in in the first couple of years. Well, I mean, you take a guy like Jeff Kent, who before Robinson Cano came along, Jeff Kent was. <laughs> It feels weird tagging it onto him, but the hallmark of offensive production at second base. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, at least from a fan's point of view, he wasn't a Hall of Famer watching him. He certainly wasn't a Hall of Famer in Queens. Um, well, yeah, I, I'll tell you, I, you know, I think that, that, I'm actually surprised Jeff Kent has got as little support as he is. I'm surprised he doesn't do it better in Jaws either. Um, the defensive metrics really knock him down, uh, a lot of which come from late in his career. Just you know, 42 runs below average. But, you know, a lot of it's also just, you know, kind of his, his pretty mediocre on-base percentages, uh, especially through the first part of his career. And, and But I'm surprised. I mean, the guy, you know, holds the record for most home runs by a second baseman, uh, was a big RBI guy. Um, I am surprised he has not gotten more support from the from the more traditional corners of the voting of the voting body, um, you know, based based on credentials like that. Um, I expected him to do better uh, than my metrics suggested, and instead he's actually lagged. And uh, um, you know, he's getting he's he's at twenty eight percent right now, and he is in his what. Uh, seventh year of eligibility. So he's kind of the exception to the rule here. You know, voters aren't, I mean, you know, he'll do better this year than he did last year, but he's not getting the same level of reconsideration uh, that a Sheffield or a Helton uh, are, I think, by by comparison. And that, that does surprise me just a little bit. I think, yeah, I think that's fair. And um, it's, 
you know, you hate to see someone's, I guess it was always, it, it was always in the, in the reports about how Kent and sometimes the media butted heads and everyone mm-hmm. said he was kind of a jerk. Um, you would think that, you know, maybe some voters were past that, but, um, you have to think maybe that comes into play. Of course, that's just speculation because he was, he, he, he was the, you know, the offensive, like I said, the offensive guy at second base. And, um, I think he's a fringe guy. You look at someone like Scott Rowland, um, you know, that's in my eyes, that's a guy who, who should eventually get in probably with a stronger resume than Kent, right? Roland, yeah. I mean, look, if, if Roland gets to anywhere close to, to, I mean, a 50%, I think is unrealistic for him to maintain this level. But if he's, if he gets up to 40% this year, I, I would be overjoyed. Uh, because I think that that, uh, portends eventual election. But, you know, once you get to a certain level, um, you know, more people start to reconsider you. And, and, you know, that's just whether, whether it's, you know, people who are more people turning to, you know, support to, to read stuff like, like I'm writing or whether it's just, you know, the, the, the discussions among peers, um, you know, uh, within the, the, the network, uh, of the BBWAA, um, you know, that's how, that's how these consensuses are built. Um, you know, it, 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 it happens slowly. It happens over, over the course of a few years. But, you know, when the tide turns, it can, it can really turn. And it's like, oh, we're doing, we're doing Scott Rowland now. And, and then, you know, late in the game, you get the, the, the guys who, who only vote for two or three candidates at a time. Um, sort of give them their blessing uh you know when when it's just when it's just about time you know when they're when they're when they're close to being elected and and uh um you know you get those those uh, you know that uh, uh those add-ons um that's really the sign that uh you know that a guy's day is coming um you know, so I'm optimistic about Roland in the long term. I think as the, you know, all of these guys are benefiting from the you know, turnover in the electorate, a more, you know, a more uh, statistically savvy group, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, more familiar with winds of replacement, uh, more familiar with Jaws, although, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised at how many uh, uh, older writers uh uh, you know, have, have, have taken to my system, uh, uh, over the years. Um, but I do think that, uh, um, you know, we're seeing a shift. Oh, and it's, it's a great thing. I think that, um, you know, for a long time, it wasn't quite a popularity contest, but, you know, folks took a body of work and you saw, hey, 500 home runs, he's in, 3,000 hits, he's in, uh, 300 wins, 5,000, whatever, all these strikeouts. But, um, you know, you're you're actually getting now uh, now these days we're getting a, a chance to really look at players from a uh, a different standpoint, and I, I imagine for the voters, um, you know, this is just a lot more to consider. Um, you look at a guy like Billy Wagner, who, you know, if you you compare him to a Trevor Hoffman, his numbers dwarf his, except for in saves. Um, then you have, you know, Billy Wagner, who's only thirty three percent of the vote. Um, you know, he's arguably one of the best left-handed relievers that we've seen in the last, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, it just, it, it, it kind of confounds me at times, but like a guy like Billy Wagner, do you see his 
time coming? Do you see that door kind of opening up for him or with his body of work just not enough? I think the the problem with Wagner is it's a it's a small body of work. Um it's an impressive one. The dominance uh uh factors is, you know, huge there. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has the highest strikeout rate of anybody with at least 800 innings uh and the highest or sorry, lowest uh, opponent batting average uh at that level too. Now, maybe a Roldis Chapman or Craig Kimbrell comes along and and surpasses them if they can hold out for another what, 2-300 innings. Um but uh, that's not a guarantee. We're seeing these guys, uh, uh, you know, signs of decline, signs of injuries, uh, adding up for these guys, and, and, and it's not a guarantee. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, Wagner does not have the longevity, and longevity is really, really, really important to some voters. It's really important on the committees, um, you know, more so than, than I, than, than I would like. I mean, you know, one of the reasons why Jaws is what it is is because, uh, I'm trying to account for the fact that you have a lot of short career guys, uh, who are in the Hall of Fame, um, you know, based on based on uh, uh, what they did in, in limited action, whether it's Sandy Koufax or Hank Greenberg or Dizzy Dean, uh, you know, not everybody got there by getting to 300 wins or 3,000 hits or, or whatever. Yeah, I, I guess it, maybe we're a little biased as Mets fans, at least on my end. But, um, yeah, Billy Wagner, I mean, there was a time then he was the, the guy. Uh I guess personally, I'd like to see him get a little, a, a little more, uh, a little more love, but we'll see. Uh, I know last year when we spoke, we spoke briefly about Manny Ramirez and the uh, incredible hurdles that he's going to have to overcome for one day to even possibly be enshrined. It's looking like it won't happen. Um, I was reading your article on him uh, in in your 2020 series here, and I, I have to bring up just one paragraph and it's going to tie us into the Mets and it'll probably wrap us up here for today but um, I'm going to go ahead and quote from your article in December 1995 Manny Ramirez signed a four year 10.1 million dollar extension joining uh, Roberto Alomar, Carlos Baerga Jim Tomey and Omar Vizquel uh, in Cleveland. Uh, I'm sorry I'm going to go ahead and paraphrase. It's a long paragraph Uh, John Hart the general manager bought out their arbitration years, enabling the team to save millions while keeping its nucleus together. I have to ask you, Jay, I, you're familiar enough with the Mets. This should be a route that the Mets should be considering. I, I know this is 20 years ago and the, the landscape has changed completely, but um, a talented core, a uh, the, the I guess the opportunity, you look at what they, they just lost Wheeler. They could have locked him up, pre I guess, before he was a free agent. Right. They kind of did the same with uh, with DeGrom, and that turned out to be a steal. Uh, with guys like Conforto, um, McNeil, Alonzo in a couple of years, you know, the Mets have a, a talented core here. Do you, do you foresee them going along those same routes? <sighs> I don't. Not right now. Um because I think that uh, uh, they're deathly afraid of of uh, getting too close to the, to the luxury tax threshold, um, you know, and and you know it takes a willingness, you know, on the part of the players to, to sign those extensions too, um, you know, and and I, I think that you know a lot of these guys, especially now that we're seeing uh, something of a return to normalcy this winter. Um, after two fairly frosty winters for for uh, uh, for free agents, we're seeing a you know a return to normalcy. And you know, I think whether it's uh, you know somebody like Marcus Stroman uh, or or whomever, you know, they're going to want to test 
uh, free agency and see, you know, and see what it is, uh, uh, you know, what they're worth on the open market uh, after having been constrained. Noah Syndergaard, another one, obviously, <coughs> um, you know, not, you know, he didn't get the same kind of treatment that uh, uh, that Jacob Degrom did because he's, you know, a he's lacked consistency, but b there hasn't been the will uh, on, I think, on either side to really get to. Um, that point it's a you know it's a strategy that can certainly work um but it's not one that you know, you know for you have to be pretty confident in, in 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 the players you have and you look at some of the mets you know the ups and downs that some of these young players have had part of it i think requires a willingness to commit early to guys who haven't totally proven themselves um you know whether that's a like an Ahmed Rosario or 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 whatever, and and that there's there's risk on the team's part there. Um, you know, and there's also I think a, a growing discomfort with those kind of deals within the analytic community that they're you know shortchanging uh, these guys are shortchanging themselves uh, by by not. Uh, uh, trying to maximize their earnings, and you know, by by compromising, uh, uh, foregoing free agency or or uh, uh, accepting very club friendly deals. So it's 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 complicated. I don't know if I can fit it all into 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 one pat answer, but um, you know, if you can do it, it's worth doing. Uh, you know, for a team, but. Um, when you've got so many high-priced players as the Mets do that are, you know, threatening to push your uh, uh, closer to the, the competitive balance tax, it's it's harder to get away with. And I don't know that the current roster is well set up uh, to pursue this line of action. Oh, for sure. And I think you hit it on the nose. It's um, it's the right players, and it goes both ways. You have to be willing. Like, I'm just going to throw out Conforto, who's made it known that. He wants. He would love to stay in New York. Um, he's really made strides uh, in a lot of aspects of his game. He came back from a concussion last season and played. Uh, he suffered a concussion in May, uh, and really raked from his return through the end of the season. Um, Brandon Nimmo, if he's healthy again and puts up the type of numbers he did in 2018, uh, that could be you know another guy who really fits into this roster right. well. He's, he's just an on base machine. Um, Rosario, you mentioned. Um, you know, these are all young players. And I, I guess you look at the White Sox and the Braves locking up their young, you know, in the White Sox case, they just signed two players who hadn't even played a major league game yet. Um, that is a little, you know, shaky uh, as far as optics, because, you know, um, you, you're kind of paying to limit the um, uh, it. Maybe the, maybe this isn't a conversation we should jump into, but uh, it, it's, you know, there's a lot on the plate. Um, and, you know, no, I don't think anyone's being shortchanged. You look at a guy like Jacob deGrom, who now, in, in you know, in hindsight, sure, he took a a, a huge discount to stay. But, um, you know, it, it's got to be the right candidates, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, if you're the Mets, if you could if you could find a way to lock up a Pete Alonso or, or you know, or a Rosario, given their age and the, and their service time, I, I, I think it's worth doing. I think as you get closer to free agency, I, don't, I think it probably makes a little bit less sense. Uh, you know, we've seen uh, – uh, you know, whether it's, uh, Nimmo and, and, and Conforto, uh, uh, deal with some injuries and, and, uh, uh I guess for Conforto, he's now got two years, 150 plus games here. So that's, that's a little bit further behind him. But, uh, uh, Nimmo obviously did not have, did not build on the kind of year that, uh, uh, people, you know, uh, thought he was capable of after that great 2018. So, um, Again, it, there's risk on both sides. I think it, it's a, uh, it, it, 
it's a strategy that's worth pursuing, but the roster has to be set up for it. And, and, uh, um, you know, it's not, it's not a one size fits all prescription. Oh, definitely not. All right. Last one, Jay, have the Mets done enough to keep up in the national league East? Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I think, I, I, I think this team's, I think this team's okay. I mean, I think that they had a lot of, you know, a lot of things went wrong for them early last year. And then, you know, they ended up winning 86 games and, and, uh, uh, you know, if they can, if they can, uh, uh, keep their best players on the field, I think they've, I, I think they've got a shot. Um, I like the Batances move, uh, you know, I think you have to hope that like Edwin Diaz bounces back. I didn't like the way that they went about building their roster last winter, but you know, they, they, they do have some, uh, some good, you know, some very good players. I think you have to do things like take advantage of Dominic Smith's value being high and move him for something that fits. You know, the problem with this Mets team has always been for me, at least is that the, just the parts don't fit together. You don't have a true center fielder. Uh, last year they had seemed to have 18 infielders and they're playing you know, Smith and McNeil in the outfield. And it's just like, yeah, it's just kind of nonsensical. Um, you know, convert your surpluses, uh, uh, you know, in, in, into other, you know, play, other players that can cover, you know, better cover your needs and, and, and uh, uh, your team's going to be much better off. And there, there seemed to be an inability or, or, or a reluctance to do that. And, uh, um, you know, so I think there's still work to be done with this roster. Right, Brody's Brody's got some time, but I think that we're uh, we're just about out of time. So Jay, thank you so much for coming on. Um, everybody, if you haven't checked it out or, or already, again, Fangraphs.com. Check out Jay's Hall of Fame rundown for 2020. Um, if you haven't read it already, the Cooperstown Casebook is fantastic. Please check that out. And Jay, where can everybody find you on social media? Uh, I'm at uh, J-A-Y underscore J-A-F-E on, on Twitter, um, and uh, you can find my work at Fangraphs. Um, Google me as Jay Jaffe. I'm, I'm there. I'm not, I'm not hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jay, thank you so much again for taking the time. Uh, hopefully we can do this again soon, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to everybody next time.